nun alle Familie vom Bild, Passion and Lust, jetzt zu Ilbeschen. Firstly, uh, thanks a lot for uh, understanding the uh, the gap that's uh, over the last couple of weeks during the time that I was away on vacation, and uh, it wasn't the same. Learning the Duff wasn't the same without uh, seeking the matmonim, finding the matmonim, articulating, preparing it, and and delivering it to you. And it's wonderful to be back with you both. Those of you who are here physically in this wonderful new base of Medrash, uh, and those of you who are listening online, very happy to be learning with you once again and look forward to a continued interaction with you as you participate in the in the shir. Uh, a reminder that there's an opportunity for, for comment both on the Facebook page and more importantly on the matmonim.org page. Uh, and in the description of the shir, you'll find a link to the source sheet Uh, which it's really worthwhile using as you as you listen to the shir when you're able to do so. Um, thank you also to Rav Horowitz for taking care of the daily shir uh, while I was away. I appreciate that very much. Uh, today what we're talking about is the idea of passion, and it's a, an overused word. It's used in business. You want somebody who's passionate about their work and passionate about the business and so on. Uh, and it's used in relationships. What does it mean? Where does it come from? What is passion? And through a Torah lens, what does it mean and, and how do we use it? Because you see, passion can be a simple instinctual response to an external stimulus, something very mechanical. Um, and passion could come from a place of emotional connection and deep meaning. Or passion could come from a very high spiritual place. And we see these various different levels and meanings of passion. Uh, for example, in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, Dafpei Aleph and Dafpei Beis, we've got a Mishnah of Boyal Aramit Kana Impoginbo, the idea that we learn from Pinchas, that there are certain Averis that when a person does them in public, a, a very hot-headed person, somebody who is passionate about Hashem and the Torah and is completely outraged at what is being done in public, that if that person allows their passion to overflow and strikes the person transgressing and kills that person, their pturim, we allow that to, to just happen. We, we, we don't intervene. And there are a lot of halachas brought in, in the Gomorrah there in Sanhedrin as to what are the conditions of a kanoi, of somebody who has this extremely high level of of passion and, uh, and and the requirements are very stringent. It's not something that, that many people, Pinchas is one of the only people we know of that really, really had that. But there's an example of passion that comes from a pure place, from a place that is not ego connected, a place that is not physical, something extremely spiritual. But passion can also come from a place of emotional connection and meaning. And we see that in the Rambam in Hechus Ishus Perik Tesvov Where the Rambam says, It is obligatory on every husband and every man to be passionate about his wife. Not just to be married to her and connected to her, but to be passionate about his wife. It's a chayva, and by making it a duty, we see that it's possible for a person to elicit their passion. It's possible for a person to access their passion. And it's important for a man and for a woman in their relationship to be aware of the power of passion and to make sure that it's alive and well in their relationship. Both she, by the way, she uses her femininity and presents herself and interacts with him and he through his masculine feelings. And the, the, the energy, the tension between male and female creates that passion. This level of passion between a man and a woman only happens when there's a, a spirit of purity, says the Rambam. However, however, you should not be too passionate. Now, what does too passionate mean? 
if he comes to a point of, God forbid, raping his wife against her will, that's that's a, an unrestrained passion. That's an undisciplined passion. And one isn't permitted to. Rather, the, their relationship should be one that is pursued, the data, with her consent and participation. And through conversation and talking and connecting on an emotional level, for simcha and, and joy and happiness, that's a different kind of passion. And then there could be a passion, as we said, which is just an instinctual response to an external stimulus, and that's our Gomorrah. Where the Gomorrah talks about a, a ksuba, where a man uh, does not write into the ksuba that in the event that you are kidnapped, I will redeem you and bring you back to be my wife. Um, if he doesn't write that into the ksuba, he still is obligated because that's considered a tanai based in. This is an implied condition of every ksuba. And even if a man doesn't write a ksuba at all, that's an implied condition of the ksuba. Uh, and therefore, if she is kidnapped, he has to redeem her. Uh, and he can't just pay her off with her super and say, you redeem yourself. He actually has to redeem her and and, and bring her home into the into the marital home. Uh, the Gemara then says on on Aleph Amud Beis, Amar de Shmuel, the father of Shmuel said, he has a very extreme view of a woman who has been raped, God forbid. Asura l'ba'ala, that if a woman has been raped, uh, we know that that she's allowed to the husband. There's no there's, that doesn't interfere with the marital relationship. It's only if a woman willingly consents to seduction that that she is forbidden to her husband. But if she's raped, she's not forbidden. But Shmuel's father said she is forbidden to her husband. Why? What we're worried about is that although she was raped initially, she may have engaged in this kind of of um, Patty Hearst syndrome, where the captive be, falls in love with the captor, and the same in the case of, of rape in extreme cases, uh, it's possible that at some point she decided to go along with it. And that decision to be complicit makes her forbidden to her husband. That makes her possible for her husband. And we're concerned that that might have happened. We don't know what happened between them, uh, and therefore she's not permitted to the husband. Rav questions Avodah Shmuel, really doesn't like the extremity of Avodah Shmuel's view, and says, didn't we just learn in the Mishnah that even if you didn't write into the Ksuba, but one should write into the Ksuba, that in the event that you are kidnapped, I will pay you the ransom money and bring you back as my wife. How could that be if she's been, you've just said that uh, if she's raped, she's forbidden to her husband. Why? If she has been kidnapped, where we fear that rape might have occurred, why are you suggesting, why does the Mishnah say that he has to remarry her, not remarry her, but just bring her back into marriage? Ishtik. So Avodah didn't answer. Kari Rav Aled Avodah Rav comments about Avodah and says, uh, we're using a posuk from Eov, Sarim atzru v'milim v'chaf yasimu l'fihem. Princely people can stop their, their word flow. They can stop in mid-sentence if necessary. And they can put a hand over their mouths. And, and in other words, they can control their speech. And Avodah is, is somebody like that. Ma'it Leila Ma'amr says the Gemara, in that case, you're suggesting that Avodah could have answered Rav. When Rav said, what do you, how can you say that a woman who is raped is forbidden to her husband? When in the Mishnah, if a woman is captured and we suspect rape, the husband has to redeem her and bring her back into the marital home. Um, 
what could Rav, what could Avod Shmuel have answered? So the Gemara says, Bishvoyeh, he could have answered that uh, there's a difference between rape and kidnapping. And then the Gemara goes on and says, okay, who holds, according to Avod Shmuel, who holds that if a woman is raped, not in a kidnap situation, but in a rape situation, that uh, she's forbidden to her husband, honest Sharia Rahmana, we know from the Psukim in the Torah that if a woman is uh, is raped, she's permitted to her husband. How does Avodah Shmuel explain that piece of Chumash? Answers the Gemara, We're talking about a case where there are witnesses that she called for help right through the whole rape, and, and nobody came to help her. And this is contrary to the view of Rava Dama Rava, any situation that starts with honest and ends starts with compulsion, with force, as beyond her control, but it ends with willingness and complicity. Even if the woman says midway she is raped by this man, and then she gives in and goes along with with the the relationship to the point where she says to somebody who comes and tries to intervene and, and save her, she says, leave me alone, I'm actually enjoying this. Uh, I don't want this to stop. In fact, I would have hired him to have had this relationship with me if he hadn't raped me. Even if she says those words, Muterich is permitted to her husband, my timer, why? And here we've got these famous words, because Yetzer Ilbasha, she has been overcome and overlayered with Yetzer Hara, uh, with, with passion, which has been initiated and instigated and triggered by the rapist in this case. And says Rashi, what is Yetzirah? Because this, this connection, this, this intimacy started as a rape. And in that interaction, the rapist was able to calm her and trigger her into, into complicity. Uh, and that's a, a level of, uh, of triggering uh, that the Chazal are very concerned about and in protection of the woman. That's part of the reason that Chazal are so meticulous about the fact that there should be no physical contact between a man and a woman who are not husband and wife. Because it's the nature of that physical contact to be able to trigger a woman's response in a way that she's no longer responsible uh, for her response. Uh, and therefore, uh, even, uh, even if it's not in a situation of, of rape, and even if it's not full intimacy, it's just physical contact, uh, it has that potential. And that's why the Torah is so, so requiring of men and women not to have that physical contact. And in this case, even though it started off as a rape, uh, he had sufficient sexual mastery to be able to bring her to a point of willing participation. That Rova holds that willing participation is a consequence of an onus and therefore remains an onus. It remains something that was forced upon her, even though technically she she agrees afterwards. Uh, and so it's, it's a mechanical response rather than an emotional response. Rabbi Kiva Eger points out, we are very fortunate that we have Rabbi Kiva Eger's comments on the side of the Gemara and the Gilayon Ashas. Uh, and I quote it here on the, on the source sheet. Um, the uh, as, as I've mentioned before, if you're listening online, the, the link to the source sheet is in the description of the shir, uh, and it's always useful to be able to follow uh, with the source sheet. Abikivega, end of the 18th century, early 19th century, the great one of the great greatest Talmudic powers at that time, and this was a time of an, of amazing Talmudic thought. 
this was the time of the Ketos and the Nesivas, and uh, Rabbi Kivega himself and the Chassam Sefer, the Vilna Gon. Uh, this was a, a huge time in Torah, and the, and the Rabbi Kivega stands out as a Pesach, as somebody who has explained the, the Gemara, and we have his comments on the side of the Gemara. Sometimes they're questions, sometimes they're, they're observations, uh, but very, very sharp. And uh, from Rabbi Kivegi, we learn an enormous amount of, of Talmudic methodology. And in this case, he refers us to a Gemara in Bovakama Daf Mem Aleph, and particularly to a Mishnah there. The Gemara is talking about a case where an ox goes, a, an, an ox has bestiality, uh, commits bestiality with a woman. And the consequence for that is that both the ox and the woman are, are put to death. And the Gemara discusses, did the ox actually kill her? The Gemara says, no, but she came to Bezdin and she was tried for bestiality and she was given the death sentence. And we might think that the ox is responsible for her death in that way. And we say, no, it's it's not so. But what's important is the Tosfus, where Tosfus says, pasha hashor. why is the ox to blame? He If she got the death sentence in the Beisdin, she had to have participated in that act of, of bestiality for it to have happened. And again, we're talking about bestiality, and you might think that that's very far-fetched, and it is in a way, as we've always discussed, the Gemara pushes uh, scenarios to their absolute limit of, of almost absurdity to test the outer boundaries of halacha. Um, but in today's society, maybe it's not quite as, as absurd as it would have been uh, at certain other times, because we see how people relate to their pets in, in some parts of the world where uh, pets have, have replaced children in some, in some societies, uh, and the human relationship with, with animals has become extreme to the point that it wouldn't be surprising if at some point there's a, a movement to give the rights to a, an individual to marry their pet. Uh, and that the, the the pet should have the, the same rights to who knows what whatever in, in in the society in which it applies. It's just that that boundary line between man and animal at, in some societies in some eras gets somewhat um, confused and blurred. And and we might be living in such a time even today. Be that as it may, Tosfa says, why is the ox to blame? She participated in the act of bestiality, and therefore her death sentence is through her doing, not through anybody else's. And the answer says Tosfa is to understand a very fine distinction that Rabbeinu Hananel enjoys, explains, and that is that in the case in, in Bovakama, the ox approaches her and she responds willingly. In the case of Algamora in Xubus, the rapist actually begins the physical act of intimacy with her by force. And only during the sexual act does she become a willing, a willing participant. So whereas in the case in Bovakama, it's an emotional response to a context, to a scene, to a scenario, to an event, in the case, in our case, in Ksubis, it's an instinctual response, a physical response to a physical trigger. And those are different. In the case of uh, Bovakama, where she makes a choice, she's not yet physically triggered. She's only triggered by the excitement to her of this weird situation with the animal. And that allows her to experiment and to pursue that. That decision to experiment that's hers. Even though the the ox started the whole interaction, she decided to participate. But here where the rapist forced not only the scene, 
not only the context, but actually force the connection. Uh, and during their, their intimacy, she became willing that she's not held responsible for. Um, and so we see that, that, that uh, even within the mechanical response to an external trigger, there are two levels, as Rabbi Kivaega points out. The one where she is responding to the circumstance and the other is where she's responding to a physical trigger. In the first case, she is responsible. In the second case, she isn't. What's important is that when we talk about passion from a Torah perspective, it actually includes all the, the dimensions. It, it, there is Kedusha in passion, as we see in the Rambam. It comes from a place of Tara. There is emotional connection in, in passion. And again, whether it's, it's emotional connection to one's job or to one's client or customer, um, there, there's passion when there's some kind of emotional connection. connection, And there's also animal and mechanical passion, which is just a chemical reaction to an external trigger. That can also make one, so to say, passionate, if one wants to use the same word. And in relationships, it's clear um, that, that all three apply, and yet it certainly should never be mechanical or animal. One should never allow one's relationship between a husband and wife to deteriorate in something which is just a, a boring routine and, and purely mechanical. Um, on the other hand, it shouldn't be purely spiritual and come from, from only from a very, very high place. Um, but it needs to be uh, a simcha, as the Rambam said, a relationship, a connection, a passion that comes, yes, there's the sense of kudusha and tahara, there's the sense of, of holiness and purity, and there's the sense of connection and, and conversation and joy. And, and there's also an, an animal element in it as well, physical pleasure. As we learned only a few days back on Daphne, where Rav Huna said, If a man insists on being intimate in, in clothing, fully dressed, uh, when a man and a, and a woman share a bed together, uh, that's grounds for a divorce. You'll see when I take she's entitled to a full ktuva and, and grounds, for, grounds for a divorce because that intimacy is meant to have a physical component as well. It's not only emotional and it's not only spiritual. Passion is where there's a, a beautiful blend at the intersection of a spiritual source, an emotional connection, and a physical sense of pleasure that all come together in the service of Hashem and in the love of one another. Music